The Holy Gospel according to John, the second chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling doves, Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple. And in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. And let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your spirit by the power of your word to create faith, to forgive sin, and to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Advice columns are the rage these days, just as they were, oh, 50, 60, 100, 200 years ago. I don't know how long they go. How old is dear Abby, anyways? Uh, been around forever. And, and from them, we, we seek advice on, on things, everything from, from love, marriage, work, finances, parenting, school, health, diets, all sorts of things. And, and it's normal. It, it's normal because we want to know either one of two things. We want to either know what's the right choice or we want to be validated by whatever choice we already made to make sure that we're right, even though we might be wrong. Well, a few of the best that I found over these last couple of months. Uh, uh, one, how can I get my coworker to stop haranguing me about becoming a vegan? Most of us know that person. They found the diet, the secret. I'm going to tell everybody. Or, or you know, maybe essential oils, that's another one. You know, the secret voodoo that, that makes you live forever. I, I say that because my wife will probably hear this later, and, and we spend a lot of money on essential oils. Um, but we're really good at being evangelists for the, the diet or the workout or, or whatever, saying, oh, I found the secret, and we tell everybody. Another one I, I, I saw, should I agree to my girlfriend's request to pretend to be her granddaughter while she dresses up as an elderly woman? I have no clue what is going on there. All I saw was the title, and I just went, I don't want to waste my time, but I'm going to hold on to it find it entertaining. Dear Abby did have a few interesting ones uh, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Two-year relationship seems to be off more than on. I went ahead and read it. You find out that this dude uh, that this woman is in a relationship with for the last two years, well, he has not introduced her to his family yet, and if she comes by to see him at work, she has to hide in the bathroom if his friends come by. You can just imagine what dear Abby said. Drop him like it's hot. Um, Here's another one. Helpful husband is caught twice with younger women. I think we have a commandment for that one. 
if you're looking for advice. Um, Another one, mom's spiritual plans collide with the daughter's wedding date. Uh, I saw that and I read it, and you find out that this mom apparently believes herself to be a medium, somebody who, who channeled dead people, uh, spirits, and apparently her certification date to become a medium is the same day as her daughter's wedding. I, you know, and dear Abby is trying to get at some things, but I'm sitting here going, I think there's something else between mom and daughter that needs to be looked at, because I'm guessing you could probably pick a different date for, for becoming a medium, but there's something there. And then Carolyn Hacks in the Washington Post had actually a really good art article this last week on how and when to tell your 10-year-old about your upcoming divorce, wanting to get advice on how to live life in a new situation of co-parenting, and, and especially if, if the spouse does not want to be uh, very cooperative with those things. Basically, the, the work of the advice column and what we go to find there, there, whether it's advice columns or it's just advice, period, is a way to manage our lives. We're looking to be able to manage life because life is messy. It's dangerous. It's risky. And so we're trying to figure out how to avoid as, as much risk as we can, but also to manage it as best as we can. But if you take the time to read what you find in those advice columns and, and elsewhere, is actually what you find is people are trying to manage sin, both their own and the ones around them, trying to, to get a grip on those things, trying to, to make sure that, that we can take them and use whatever advice we can to tame sin. And I think that's what we try to do with the Ten Commandments, right? We put the Ten Commandments up there, and, and, and we hope that, that those will help us manage our life. That's what actually happens. If you're here on, on Wednesday, we, we have the, the Good Samaritan, and a lawyer comes to Jesus and he asks a very important question. He's, he's wanting advice. He's wanting to know how to manage his life. And so he goes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a pretty good question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He's wanting to manage life. He's wanting to be able to, to get a handle on these things. And Jesus asks him, well, what do you read in the law? The law is there. It, it gives us some quote-unquote advice. What do you read there? And he, he answers correctly. And Jesus says, well, do this, all of it that you've just said, and you'll live. There you go. Not very hard. Love God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. Unless they happen to vote differently than us. Or drive a different car or root for a different sports team or happen to be in junior high. But this is us. We come to God, we come to the scriptures, we come to life, and we sit here and go, how can I manage things? How can I hold on to things? How can I keep things normal, whatever normal means? How can I pursue the good for my life? How can I make sure that my kids have the good life, that they flourish, that they have success, whatever that word means? And I think in some ways that's why we have a segment of society, for instance, that they want to put the Ten Commandments, speaking of the law, they want to put the Ten Commandments up everywhere. We want the Ten Commandments in the schools. We want Ten Commandments in the courthouse. We want Ten Commandments grocery store. I don't know. Putting it up as many places as we can. Why? Because there's this assumption that if we put it up there, people are going to see it and they're going, oh, I better not make it in the advice column by going after younger women. Because there's a law for that one. Because we think this assumption being, well, if we just put it up there and people see it, they're going to choose correctly. 
which I don't know, has that worked? It's been, it's been a few thousand years, I, I'm wondering. I don't think so. Because in, basically, when we get right down to it, we are just like Israel back in Exodus 20 when we receive the Ten Commandments. Because God actually starts the Ten Commandments where they need to start. He doesn't start with, this is how you're going to manage your life. He comes to us and he says in verse 2, I am the Lord your God. Meaning, you don't have another one. I'm giving you myself. And then he says, because I've brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I brought you out of a place that was managing you, that was controlling you, that was keeping you from finding the freedom that I'm able to give in life and salvation. And so therefore, do not have any other gods. And then we delineate out all the other ones and we, and we look at them and we think in some ways we can manage them, but the reality is, is that we're just like Israel because Israel hears the Ten Commandments and their response is not good because they hear the Ten Commandments, they see the lightning and the thunder on the mountain and they turn to Moses and they say, okay, you talk to us, but God, you shut up. We don't want to hear from you. Moses, you, you, you talk to us because we think we can manage you. We can't manage this God that's talking to us right now. And so they basically tell God, please be quiet, don't talk to us. Basically, doing exactly what we do all the time, right? Don't tell me what to do. Anybody use that phrase before? Anybody? If your hand's not up, you're lying! <laughs> I'll handle it. Don't preach at me. I've heard that one before, too. It's probably why we don't like sermons all that much. We often see it as unwanted advice. We tend to think, oh, I'll work it out on my own. Well, Enter Jesus. He comes in to the temple. This place in which people are supposed to be encountering this God that, that 1,200 years ago they said, okay, shut up. And what does Jesus find there? He finds a marketplace. See, before, before around this time that Jesus comes into the temple, that market was actually out on the Mount of Olives, right across from the main entrance into Jerusalem. And it was, it was a place for one-stop shopping, in, in essence, because if you were a male over 20, you were supposed to go to Jerusalem multiple times throughout the year for the main festivals. And those main festivals involved sacrifices. Well, if you're making a rather long pilgrimage that takes you maybe a couple of weeks to walk there, you're not going to bring your sheep with you. That's, that's asking a little too much. So it's nice to have a marketplace there. You know, you, you got your Coburns right there on the mountain. Go into the sheep section, you get your sheep, then you can go into the temple and do what you need to do. Well, somebody, in their great wisdom, whether it was Herod or the religious leaders or whatnot, they decided to turn part of the temple into an outlet mall. Okay, so we have the sheep store, and we have the goat store, and the turtle dove store, and, and, and we've got the money changers there to be able to take care of your money, because we don't want your Roman money, because that has a picture of Caesar on it, and that's an idol, and we can't have you bring that into the temple. So you give us that, and then we're going to give you the temple shekel that you're supposed to be turning in as part of your offering. And oh, by the way, we're going to skim off about 12%. And Jesus shows up, and he sees this taking place, and all it is it's a piece of that management system that we try to create for our lives. It's transactionalism. If you just do this, 
get your sheep, go in, sacrifice it, you're good to go, go home, or, or change out your money, or do whatever. No problem. You've managed everything. An ability to, to control life, to control our sin, to, to basically, quote-unquote, do this and live is the hope that we have. Well, we know the rest of the story, don't we? The temple becomes Thunderdome. Jesus makes a whip. Suddenly you got feathers and fur and wool just flying everywhere. Tables getting flung across the room. Chairs overturned. Coins clanking all over the floor. Why? Because that's what Jesus does. He shows up. And he does his work, and his work is to find that management system that you're using. That system that you're using to try and tame your sin. That system that you're using to try and control life. That system that you're using to try and think that you can manage everything without God, without Jesus stepping in to do his work. And he's going to find it, and he's going to destroy it. He's going to take away every attempt that we try to make things on our own, ripping from us all the good advice we take. And instead, what he gives is himself in its place. Because you see, sin can't be managed. Neither can it be forgotten. We think it can. But just think about it this way. I do something to you, whatever it might be. You can pick something. I do that thing to you. It is now an historical fact. It happened. And unfortunately, because it happened, at some point there, there is something that is going to remind you, a smell, a taste, something you see, something you hear that will remind you. And although it can be quote-unquote forgiven, there's not a pound of flesh that can get rid of it from reality. And that's the why of Jesus. Jesus steps in and he says, I'm here to clean out all your attempts to go your own way. I'm here to clean out all your attempts to try and hide. I'm here to turn you to God. I'm going to destroy everything that you have set up for yourself. Even this temple, he jokingly says. And what do we, what do, we do with this? With this? What, is our, what is our reaction to Jesus? Well, we take him at his word and we kill him. That's what we do. Go back to what I said about Israel in Exodus 20, where they say, okay, God, shut up. We don't want to hear from you. Well, if we kill Jesus, what do we guarantee for ourselves? Oh, he won't talk anymore, right? He won't tell us about all the attempts that we're trying to manage things on our own without him. And yet Jesus knows this, and so he calls our bluff. Nothing can get in the way. Because he tells us, tear down this temple and I'll raise it in three days. Right? And then it says, oh, he is talking about the temple of his body. Nothing can get in his way. He'll banish every market that we create for ourselves. So we, we never think it's for us to deal with. He'll, he'll overturn every table that we've set up or people have even set up in our own lives to tell us that we're not enough. And then he takes the cross. He knows the drill. 
All of it because we are sinners, even though, even though we don't want to believe it, we don't want to accept it, we don't want to be, and so we do everything we can. We, we basically create a shell game for ourselves. We, we take our sins and we put it under one and we move it around hoping that he doesn't notice and maybe we won't notice either. But he has a nose for it, he'll find it out. And we don't want to acknowledge that because we're most afraid that the Apostle Paul is right when he says the wages of sin is death. And so we hide our sins and, and, and we play that shell game and, and we hope that no one will notice except Jesus. Jesus does. And so he says to us, go ahead and kill me. Go ahead and kill me. Destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. It's like he's Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars. Strike me down and I'll become more powerful than you can ever imagine. Well, he does. That's Christ anyways. Because see, the thing that we don't realize is that we think, well, if we kill him, he'll stop talking and he won't tell us about our need for him. And yet what we don't realize is that what was happening was he was taking on all our sin like a little sponge, soaking it up. We nail it to the cross and it dies with him. Then he goes into the grave and he leaves it there. Then he rises and it's gone. It's down there. It's not for us to manage anymore. And I love verse 22. John's more kind to the disciples than the other writers, but he says, and after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Believed, they trusted, they realized that he was saying, all these other attempts we make to manage things, no, just me, just trust me. I'm going to get rid of all that other stuff. All of it's going to go away and you can trust me. And that is the word for you this morning, church. Trust Christ. And it may hurt. I'm sure it will. When Jesus maybe steps in to overturn some of those tables that he needs to in your life. But it is necessary because he's going to put those things to death. He's going to get rid of them so that all you're left with is him and him alone for you. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.